Tom, you are head of innovation in Zenit Media, mm -hmm. and in your public talks, you usually speak about uh, digital transformation, innovation, and uh, future trends. Yeah. So let me please start with my first question, which is going to be: What is innovation? <laughs> How it's related to creativity? And what you do? What you? What do you do as a head of innovation? Goodness me, there's a lot there. Um, these are very good questions, and they're, they're questions that there's not a right answer on. I think everyone finds their own interpretation. Um, you know, for me, there's many theories about innovation and um, disruption and digital transformation and all these very vague words. Um, the sort of innovation for me comes from a spirit. Like it comes from a sense that progressing in an incremental, um, traditional, risk-free, logical way is not going to, in many cases, bring about the change that companies need. So innovation is taking to the core of a business a significantly different way of doing something. That might be different through creativity, it might mm -hmm. be different through technology, it might be different through data, but it's about something that is a sort of profound change in direction. So if BMW had made ever better cars, they mm -hmm. never would have got to a Tesla because that came from a different way of thinking. Okay. Um, if Coca-Cola had made better Diet Coke, they never would have got to Red Bull because that came from mm. a different way of thinking. So it's, it's the application of this difference. Um, so my role as Zenith is called innovation. And I think there are questions about how you do a role like that. To what extent do you do the innovation and you become the... Yeah the R&D department, or do you try and bring about a culture of innovation? Mm -hmm. And I think, um, if I'm honest, it's difficult. And I try different things, and I do a mixture of these things, and it involves everything from trends presentations to trying to be an evangelist and get people to be a bit more excited about change. Yeah. And it involves some actual um, small-scale projects to show what can be done. Right. Uh, you have written a book which is called Digital Darwinism, right? And this book about um, how modern organizations can survive with uh, like uh, digital disruption, which we have nowadays. Mm -hmm. uh, what would you highlight as the biggest challenge for those companies? Wow. Um, the biggest challenge is the acceptance that they need to change quite considerably, but that being the person that says that does not mean that you are blaming people or that you've made mistakes. Yeah. I think there is this sense that companies have been very good at doing what they do for a long time. And that's why they're big, successful companies. So if you're um, a bank, if you're an airline, mm -hmm. if you're a hotel chain, right. like you are big and you are successful because you've done things the right way. And the reality is that the dynamics of the industry are now changing. Yeah. And that what was once um, an asset is now a liability. And that when you face competitors like Facebook or Uber or Alibaba or Airbnb or uh, transfer-wise, that many of the processes that you put in place um, are not going to be helpful for the future. So to get these people to realize that what they know is unhelpful and what they are expert in is dangerous, that's a very big problem. Like, that's a very big thing to say to somebody. And I think the acceptance that they need to change is actually the hardest part. So what is your opinion on the internet or how do you see the internet in our lives in the next 10, 20 years? So what kind of like role is going to be playing in our lives? I mean, I may live to regret saying this because this is quite a bold claim, but I think the internet is incredibly fast already. Um, like there are very few things that I do on a daily basis where I feel that 4G or broadband is not fast enough. Like I'm not trying to buy a 
mobile VR headset. I'm not trying to buy a AK TV. Like I like it sounds stupid, and maybe I will regret to say this, but what what we have in terms of um, speed is enough. Yeah. Now, capacity is a slightly different thing. Um, lag is a different thing, and there are things like bandwidth splicing that allow new business models. But generally speaking, I actually think that the, um, the weakest link in this chain is actually not the internet itself, but it's the software that we've constructed. So mm -hmm. the fact that if I try and change my flight to get on a flight that's one hour earlier, um, the person at the desk is tapping away on their keyboard for five minutes, pressing all sorts of different buttons. <laughs> Um, when I try and find the email address for a hotel to ask them what time their gym opens, there's no mm -hmm. email address listed on the website. Okay. Um, when I try to deposit some money in someone's account in America and there are nine different payment options, one's called wiring, one's called ACH, like there, there's a complexity to our systems yeah. which are, have come about from the fact that we haven't really rethought things for the internet age. So yes, it's easy to say that 5G and the Internet of Things will mean that I'll be able to know where the elevator is in real time and I'll be able to see how long the security line is at the airport and I might be able to walk out of a store without going to a, a till to pay for things. But actually, we've, we haven't really made the most of what we have already. Um, speaking of digital transformation, right? What do you think uh, like digital specialists or professionals should do or consider before they start in one? That's a great question. Um, I mean, to start with, I'd say that we should be less comfortable having like digital talent um, than we are, because okay. the, the notion of sort of digital talent implies that other people aren't digital. And the reality is if you're a 15-year-old growing up today, like you are a digital talent, like you know how to use Facebook, you know what, Instagram means, you know yeah. how TikTok is changing your friendship groups. So I think everyone's growing up these days to become digital in the same way that my parents grew up to become electrical. You know, they kind of knew what electricity meant. So I think it becomes somewhat dangerous to, um, to sort of presume there are lots of people that are not this talent, because everyone is. Um, there's, there's a thing about specialism versus um, generalists, which I yeah. think is quite interesting. So we will, to some extent, for the near future, need people that write code, and we need people that um, know how to spec out a product. Okay. But I think it's incumbent on us all to start thinking in terms of what software means and mm. how platforms can change business models. And it's also essential that the people that write this technology are more aware of society, um, and they're more aware of people. Because often, I mean, Silicon Valley appears to be this machine that makes apps for the problems yeah. that 26-year-old men have. Um, and the more we can get used to solving the problems that 50-year-olds have in um, fourth-tier towns, the better we can get at solving the problems of sub-Saharan Africa. The more we can think less in terms of a way to get pizza to someone faster and a way to connect communities with buses. Like, that's how I think we need to start thinking. Yeah, and you usually speak about, um, you know, many series, strategies, uh, information which, which, you know, available for people nowadays about how to handle digital data and digital world in general. Yeah. And, but actually, like, in very, like, broad, like, broad image, um, we don't really know how to work with it. So yeah. what would be your advice or what is your strategy working with all of this data? 
And what is your opinion again on big data trends? Yeah, I think there's two ways to sort of think about this. One is in terms of companies and data, and the other is as a person and privacy and data. Um, so I think, I mean, the first part is as a person, like privacy is this huge debate that we've never really had. And I think there's a lot of clumsiness about it because I'm not sure that people crave the privacy that we think they do. That is, I was even this morning I was watching a BBC show about um, privacy and people maintaining their data and getting reports from the European yeah. government on GDPR. And I'm just not that sure that that many people care that much. And I'm, I might be wrong. Um, when it comes to businesses, we have an approach where we just think that more data is better and that bigger data is better and that faster data is better. And often we we try and sort of get as much as we can because that's what you feel like you should do. And I'm not that sure that companies need as much data as they have in many instances. Um, some of my clients are telecommunications companies. They have more data than they know what to do with. Um, we need to focus much more on the decisions that we make from it. And that actually involves having less data than we think. It means that we have to make sure the data is clean. It means that we need to make sure that the data is kept in one place mm. and it's not in different silos, that everyone has access to that data. So a lot of data strategy is actually quite simple. Um, you know, let's figure out what kind of decisions we're trying to make. Let's try and make sure we have that data and let's make sure that the right people can access it. Okay. How do you project the future? Is it all about AI or still human <laughs> being? Um, the medium to long-term future will involve a lot of very advanced technology, um, which will involve faster connectivity and uh, more sensors and more data and yeah. better processing of that data. And it is useful to think in terms of how software can get better and start teaching itself to become better. And that, mm -hmm. broadly speaking, is the area of AI. Um, I mean, we do need to realize that the foundations that we have for a lot of this technology is not there. Like the big problems that we face are the kind of human technology interfaces or the legacy structures, which yeah. mean that right. um, the systems don't work together. Um, so we kind of assume that somehow AI will be the solution to all of our problems. And actually, it's just going to put more weight on these foundations that makes us realize how many parts of the system don't work. Um, it will make a big difference. I mean, what's going to be fascinating is when, when we kind of start to rethink roles around what technology means. Because at the moment, we tend to take a process which is quite archaic, um, and we sort of turbocharge it with a bit of technology. Um, and actually, what we need to think about is how would we create that process today from scratch? So if you're a news network, like how would you rethink the role of news in people's lives in a world of AI? Um, if you're a pharmaceutical company, like how would you rethink the drug discovery process in a world of AI? And when you do that, you realize that computers are very good at lots of things. Like they're very good at repetition. Right. They're very good at precision. They're very good at logic. They're very good at the sort of cold, objective parts of the world. Um, and humans are extremely good at things that computers are crap at. So humans are very good at guts. They're very good at leaps of faith. They're very good at connecting the dots in very arbitrary, mm -hmm. sort of random but clever ways. And therefore, I think often our roles will become less about um, outsourcing stuff to computers because they're cheaper and much more about using computers to leverage the capability that we have as people so that we can become even better at our jobs because the bits that we're not good at and the bit that takes our time is now outsourced to a to computer. You know, most technology, what it does is it tends to make new wealth and it tends to create more sort of labor production type scenarios. And then most of that stuff is done by 
technology. And then people tend to have better, healthier, um, more highly paid jobs in return. So I think, I think there's no reason to think that it will be different this time. But do you see that AI can replace human creativity? Um, I personally don't in most ways. Um, I think when there's a process, uh, a really good example of how AI can help is, um, you know, I think there was a World Cup or some sporting event yeah. recently, and the highlights videos were made by a combination of computers and editors. Yeah. And what happened is the computers could scan through all of the footage and find kind of, you know, 20% of the games where the crowd was loud, where they knew that something interesting was happening. And then it could give that to a video editor. And the video editor could then look at that material and create the narrative through it. So it allowed them to be better because they didn't have to do the boring mm -hmm. stuff. Now, you still need a, a person to kind of feel their way through and to create the story arc. And I don't think computers can ever be good at that because, I mean, you get to this place where, you know, if, if something that's not meat tastes just like meat, you kind of know it's not meat and that means it doesn't feel as good. Yeah. And if you knew that um, non-alcoholic wine didn't have alcohol, but it tasted every bit as good as alcoholic wine, would you still like it as much? You know, fake flowers, if they're indistinguishable from real flowers, they still don't feel real. That's and funny. I do think there's something sort of ethereal and beyond, beyond logic and beyond um, scrutiny that becomes special about human creativity. And I think a, a, a robot-written book could never feel quite the same as a real written book. Um, there are a couple of places where it gets interesting. So if you ask an AI to design a car chassis, like it won't come to the process with a kind of preconceived version of what a car chassis will look like. So you'll end up with this very organic structure, which is wildly mm -hmm. different to what a car designer would have ever made because it doesn't come to it with the sense of rigidity and muscle memory. So th there are areas like that where I think things can get interesting. But no, I, I don't want clothes that are designed by a robot, and I don't want an architect to be an AI. Like, I think there's always going to be a degree of authenticity and craft that, that we will probably want even more in the future. And if, you're, if, you're, if you can change the world, uh, would you do so? And if yes, then how? Wow. Um, I mean, it's important for me to feel a sense of accomplishment these days. Like, um, it's not like I'm famous or that anyone cares that much about what I've got to say, but I do have more um, ability to bring about change than many people. And that means that it's really exciting to think what part of a process can you be part of. Um, I think what's happened so far with our life is that we've added technology so quickly to our lives that we've never really thought about the damage it could be doing. Um, and I think quite a lot of modern technology is not very helpful to the human cause. Mm -hmm. So I worry about Instagram and the way that people now broadcast their lives yeah. rather than living them. Um, and therefore, I want us to be more considerate about technology and how it changes us. But I also want to start using technology to do better stuff. So, you know, how can we create a school system which makes people feel that the world believes in them? Um, how can we create... Um, a process for politics which allows much more um, empathy between different sides. Like, how can we use technology to, um, you know, improve the quality of people's lives everywhere in the world? And I'm not the world's most kind of green-minded, sort of socially active um, campaigner, but it just seems that technology can create much, much better solutions than it has done so far. Um, so whether that's helping sort of female health mm -hmm. in Africa, whether it's, um, 
you know, reducing pollution in China. Like it, it seems that we should get much more ambitious with how technology can make a real difference to this planet. And I'd like to think we're on the edge of that now. Like I'd like to think that technology for so long was only really understood by people that may be quite young and they may be quite technically minded and they may yeah. be people that enjoyed the pursuit of writing good code. And now if you're a 62-year-old retired teacher that lives in the north of England or if you're a um, you know, sort of woman that grows up in rural um, Brazil, yeah, yeah. like you actually know enough about it to think, wait a minute, like this can be a way to help me plant crops at the time of year, which means I need to use less pesticide, or I can be um, someone that decides that this technology can free up, um, and I can dynamically route buses to make sure that bus routes become more sen uh, sensible option for a way to people commute. Um, so I think that's where things get really exciting. Tom, thank you so much. Thank you very yeah. much. It's been thank great you. questions. Thank you. Thank you.